clueless. Oil of every pearl's uninsides. This is off the list. Yes, because my legs are fine, but my arms be cold. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. My legs are always fine. I like <laughs> they'll they never need heat, but my arms are always so cold. And and no one says anything about it because they're like, that's a clean fit. I'm so delicate. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And with that, welcome to Off the List. We didn't clap, but. No, we know, we know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. (laughs) Okay. Welcome to. (laughs) I am ruined. I am ruined. Welcome to Off the List. This is our podcast where we can barely hold it together. (laughs) This is our podcast where we barely hold it together. Okay. (laughs) Welcome to Off the List. This is our podcast where we talk about movies. And music, and I'm Nadira. I provide the movies. I'm talking to Ben. He provides the music, and also laughs for days. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I'm untethered. I'm currently untethered. And delicate. <laughs> and delicate. <laughs> the background to this is we've been rolling for like four minutes before this intro started, <laughs> and so much wonderful things have been recorded. Um, but yeah. This is our podcast. Hopefully you're aware. Hopefully you know. If you stumbled here by accident, I don't really know how. Tell me your secrets, but welcome. This week slash episode, we are mm-hmm. talking about Clueless, the classic 1995 film Clueless, and Sophie's album. Do you want me to hit it? I'll yeah, hit it. do it. Yeah. Oil of Every Pearls on Insides. We will be starting with the classic, iconic film Clueless. Clueless was released in 1995. It was directed and written by the GOAT Amy Heckerling, who also did the film Fast Times at Ridgemont High and National Lampoons. I don't know which one, but one of them. Just a legend. Um, it stars Alicia Silverstone, Brittany Murphy, Paul Rudd, Donald <laughs> Faison, Brecken Meyer, and more. It's based on Jane Austen's 1815 novel, Emma, classic literature. Um, And I think it kind of started this trend. I don't actually know if it was the first one, but I think it started this trend of like late 90s, early 2000s rom-coms, teen rom-coms specifically, that are adaptations of or inspired by classic literature, which also includes like She's the Man, which is based on Shakespeare's Twelfth Night, Ten Things I Hate About You, which is based on Shakespeare's The Taming of the Shrew, and all that kind of stuff. Um, The film Clueless is about a girl named Cher. She's beautiful, popular, rich, high schooler. Um, She's been told a few times she's selfish. She decides she wants to be a better person, less selfish, and she does so or plans to do so by taking in a new student under her wing and giving her like a supreme makeover Um, and so that's the general plot of the film but of course 90s 
iconic like culture seeps through and before I say more about how iconic it is and the impact it's had on general culture Ben what did you think about this film okay I'm really excited to tell you what I think but I need to start with this first because this is something that you have mentioned many times and you kind of hinted at the fact that once I watched this movie you would have thought that like something would have clicked and I've been like oh yeah like I like I I heard I'm I watched this movie, and the first thing I want to say about it is that I still just have I, – I don't recognize anything from this. I don't know how, but this just has escaped my childhood and my life so completely. But I was just like – like, I don't have, like, any memory bells ringing. This is just a new experience for me, <laughs> which <laughs> seems impossible, but it, it was. And, That's crazy. And secondly – I want everyone listening to this podcast, all three of you, to stand up and give Nadira a slow clap because she made me love a high school rom-com yes! movie. She it. fucking did it. She we fucking did it. Did it. I we never thought it. she could I never thought she could do it and I'll be honest, I still quite like don't know how the movie did it, but I will like I will say this, the movie's fucking fantastic it's, it's amazing brilliant. it's superb i spent i like there was a smile on my face when it started and it didn't leave the entire time i was just so happy and it manages to avoid all of like the normal criticisms and like things that annoy me about high school movies and like this kind of genre so well like there's so many things in my head that like even my cynical brain would like try to pick at and like it just didn't feel right to do it because it, it was just so fun. I was like, I'm having so much fun watching this. Like, fuck anyone who says yeah, otherwise. Man. Like, this movie, I don't know how. I didn't know it existed, and I don't know anything about it. But, like, oh, my God. It's fucking amazing. I love it a lot. <laughs> I'm so glad that we got here to this moment in time because the magic about Clueless is that we all should hate it. We should hate everything it stands for. We should hate everything about it. I mean... There's a like quasi incestuous relationship at the end. Yes. That you end up rooting for. Like this mm-hmm. movie is magic. This movie is magic. But it's magic in the way that it's not magic at all. It's just smart writing. And like to this day, I mean, I think again, like we said about a few other films, like everything was pitch perfect about it. Like the casting, the sets, the clothing, like everything was pitch perfect about it to make it work. And if one thing was off, it probably wouldn't have worked. Mm -hmm. But to me, it all starts with the script. And Amy Heckerling wrote such an enjoyable, lovely script that started at the inside out. Like the reason why we can love this film is because it starts with a seed of someone who's making fun of these superficial, like shallow people, but then unearths this whole new layer of like, well, they're just human too. And what if they tried to be good people? And also aren't teenagers in the nineties crazy, you know, which is like, (laughs) yeah, 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 man. Yeah, they fucking are. And I love that so much. And it's just such a good script. Like every joke lands every reference is iconic and like somehow Mm -hmm. timeless, but also frozen in time. Like when she calls, it might be Christian, but when she calls one of the hot guys, like a total Baldwin and you're like, yeah, that's played out. But also, yes, like I know what you mean. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's again, it's like every aspect of this film is timeless, but also frozen in time. And I think 
it's so good and fun and enjoyable, but it's also when she like, said, I, "Oh, I'm having a Twin Peaks experience." Yes, I <laughs> listen, listen. I love every aspect of this film. I love every character in this film, even the like evil, annoying ones, like Elton. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. but you're Elton. You know what I mean? It's like, like that's something that I can understand. It makes sense that so many of the movies that I have seen in this kind of tinge are failing to kind of nail the grace with which this movie hit it because it just did it so well. It's like how like replicating it would be so difficult because I don't even know what she did in the writing beyond it just being like so clever and every line like joke hitting perfectly yeah. to make it work. But there must have been more going on. Like I, it, it, that was like the deepest appreciation I had for it is as it was making me laugh and as I was enjoying it, I would kept thinking there is so much going on subtext that is like hitting me and it's just making me enjoy it, but I'm not realizing it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Amy Heckerling is a genius and I think a part of being a genius in that way is also knowing exactly who to put on your team. And this film is generally considered like one of the best teen films of all time. It has developed a cult following, but I don't know if you can really call it that because it was never unpopular. Like it was a surprising hit at the box office I know that Amy Heckerling like went to real Beverly Hills high schoolers. Oh, I should also mention that it takes place in Beverly Hills. It's kind of an important Mm -hmm. part. Um, But she studied real Beverly Hills high schoolers to get like the dialogue and just the overall vibe. Right. But I also think she was able to create her own lexicon that was then used as like normal dialogue amongst kids and like for generations ongoing. And it's, it's, it's really actually hard to like wrap your head around how impactful this film was like whether it's lingo or just references that we well if you're not Ben that you probably know (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I think a lot has been written specifically about how the fashion has in the film has influenced like the actual fashion world that we live in I think Alicia Silverstone said she had like 64 costume changes for the film which is like unheard of that's the, so I, crazy it's I mean, crazy it, it's crazy. i mean it makes sense it totally makes sense but it makes so, so much sense crazy and the iconic like yellow plaid mini skirt like matching set the mm-hmm. dolce and gabbana matching set that she wears has been like replicated and referenced on actual fashion runway runways since then and probably will to come you know Mm. i sent you that vogue video and it's great it's a great video of alicia silverstone talking about like how the fashion in the film has influenced fashion like to come after the film and she was right like every one before that that was like hip who's into fashion was wearing like grunge nirvana inspired fashion and of course like i'm into that looks hot Mm -hmm. but the way that they like just did an entire 180 for an entire fashion culture with this film is so impressive the film gives every group different agency to be their true selves i should say like even the black characters in the film you would think in a film like this would be overdone or out of touch and they're not the most like I don't know people like Murray and Dion in my like general everyday life I don't know many of them but they're still so Mm. relatable and they're still so black to me like when (laughs) when he like (laughs) when she brings up that like lock of hair that was in his car and he's like 
and he's like no it was probably yours and i forget the exact line but she says I mean, she something says, like i don't i don't wear poly- po- polyester yeah that, that's what i yeah. thought she said she's like i don't wear polyester and i'm like right or when murray is like explaining how his use of woman isn't misogynistic yes it's so and it's there's such a microcosm of the film but what i love about it is like every microcosm of the film okay it's kind of the exact opposite of um do the right or not do the right thing of school days we watch school days yeah it's the exact opposite of school days where like the film is not that long and it has so many mini characters but you learn so much about them like they feel yes. so well thought out every, every character is so deep like i i know so much you're right i knew every, yeah. so much about every character and not in just enough yeah to like relate to them and to like them and to understand their perspective whereas like in school days so many characters were so one-dimensional this one it, every character is so Nails rich it. every single even breck Meyer is so good as travis like he's so, mm-hmm. he's so oh my god i love travis travis <laughs> is one he, of my favorites i love travis so much when he when he gives the speech for his tardies he's like <laughs> yes shout out to the la city buses <laughs> of forgiving a, a chance on an unknown a, kid shout yes. out to mcdonald's because without their egg muff, egg mcmuffins i might never be tardy <laughs> 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 or when he like brings the bong into the like mm-hmm. um the, kitchen the fundraiser that's and where she, i keep it too <laughs> she's like i guess this is kitchenware <laughs> i love him so much and he's like everyone shines in this movie and even him like you don't see him that often but he's still so like he jumps off the screen it's yeah like everyone even though if they have a super small like time in the film it's just it's it's so well thought out and everyone does such a good job i mean britney murphy in this film Mm -hmm. is so good and i do want to take a minute to just like highlight her because she is as many people know no longer here with us and she was Mm -hmm. also someone who suffered from an untimely death and she was just so good in like everything she was in but particularly this you know ty comes in so original so bubbly and like charismatic and you see her earnestly develop into this like zombie of a teenage popular girl and the reason why she doesn't work as the teenage popular girl is because she isn't one not because the teenage popular girls don't work you know what i mean like share works Mm -hmm. dion works even amber with her annoying ass works but like (laughs) (laughs) yeah but but like Ty just doesn't work because that's just not her. And to see her like have that whole evolution, like oh, Brittany Murphy just plays it so, so well. She plays it so well. It's just so well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even in those moments where she is like most trying to be that share, she is in essence, while she's acting, she feels the most like she's acting. Yeah. Like the yeah, char- exactly. That, that's, that's how good her performance is, is that, you feel like she's acting when she's already acting. Like she's has layers on this shit that you're like, Oh my God, like this character, like, you know, a person like that, you know, a person who has so fundamentally changed their identity to fit in with a social group that they feel like they're acting in it. And then you yeah. remember the layer that the, she's also acting for the actual role. And I'm like, yeah. what the hell? I'm like, Oh my God, that's so crazy. And I mean, okay. The last thing that I will say about this film, because like we could like, do even deeper dives but it's not necessary the last thing i will say about this film is paul rudd paul Mm -hmm. rudd i love paul rudd (laughs) his character should be so annoying like straight up 
his character should be so annoying, but the entire time you're like, ex step brother, I don't care. I hope first it of happens. All, first of all, <laughs> that Paul is, Rudd su- that is, is that's so such hot. an ingenious touch. <laughs> yes, he's first really of all, hot. Paul Rudd is so hot. And they so keep is... highlighting his fucking eyes. I was like, yeah, God damn it. They yeah, know. They yeah, know. Yeah. <laughs> and like he's yeah, again, like he plays this character so earnestly, like, and so charming. Like he he should be annoying. But as soon like He's reading Nietzsche. He's like he's yes, by the pool yes. reading Nietzsche. And and Dion has this line about like, oh, I wish I remembered it, but she's like um, Your idealistic yes, early adult yeah, it's, years. Yeah, it's it's like you're your post high school like idealistic phase and i'm like yeah that perfectly describes him and perfectly describes so many people that i know you and i know but it's mm-hmm. like he's not annoying whereas they are because he's just so charming and i think because at the end of the day like we all know that he's not actually that guy you know like he's really actually mm-hmm. at the end of the day just trying to better himself he's not worried necessarily about the optics of it and i think like him accepting share is kind of an example of that and, and i love and there's so many like you fall in love with him immediately like as soon as they're like little banter in the kitchen like the first time you even see him it's like okay they're cute and like you're rooting for it and you fall in love with him but yeah it's just, man just watch this movie just like have fun yeah. and watch this movie it really like as someone who self-admitted struggles to have fun <laughs> this movie makes it so fucking easy it makes it so fucking easy just do it like i the cynical part of my brain had nothing it had nothing and you know how rare that is for me i know how rare that is for you for people who might be like okay that's rare i'm telling you i'm telling you that's rare (laughs) it just really is fucking iconic like there's nothing else to say about it it's just fucking iconic moving on to definitely the same sphere of iconic and fantastic and like very influenced by pop culture and like pop's DNA is in it. But if pop's DNA um, melted a little bit, <laughs> we're going to be list- we're going to be talking about oil of every pearl's uninsides, which is a sentence aneurysm. I've said this before and I'll say it again. By Sophie. Yes. And to give a background on Sophie and for the people listening who don't know, Sophie is one of the defining artists of the past decade. Sophie, who specifically in interviews has requested that there are no pronouns used for Sophie, just say Sophie. So okay. I'm going to do my best to follow that. That's a little bit hard sometimes, but I'll do my best to follow yeah, that through the podcast. I was actually going to ask about pronouns, so that's I'm really glad that you mentioned that. Yeah, Sophie just said, just call me Sophie. So... Sophie, and then also, quick fun side note, when asked Sophie why Sophie, Sophie said, oh, it tastes like lotion. So, <laughs> really out here. Was Sophie synesthetic? I don't, I it's, it's just confusing, honestly. <laughs> oh. Sophie was one of the most important people in the development of what is now known as hyperpop, which before it was known as hyperpop was known as kinetic pop music or hyperkinetic pop music, which is to say it's pop music that takes the DNA of what makes pop music amazing, the choruses, the hooks, the catchiness, the stickiness in your head, and it distorts it to 
a million. It's taking every bass and blowing it out. It's taking every vocal and chipmunking it like crazy. And it's taking everything and making it parentally online, parentally queer, and parentally fucking fantastic. I am a huge hyperpop stan, and for, you know, disclaimer, when this album came out in 2018, it was my favorite album of the year. This is easily one of the most influential albums for me. It's one of the easy, one of the most important albums for me coming to terms with being queer. Uh, and also, tragically, when Sophie died of a freak accident in this past year, it makes talking about this album hard in some ways. So if I get emotional for any reason, it's for that reason. Just the disclaimer, putting it out there now. But yes, Sophie, this is... Sophie's debut album. Sophie didn't have any really projects before this. They or Sophie had like a specific song that Sophie would put out, but that's pretty much it. And for a debut album, it will, in my opinion, and I'm willing to bank everything on this, remain as one of the most important debut albums in pop music for the next century. Which is why I had no problem talking about it, even though it's only three years old. So, Nadira, yeah, what do you think about this album? Just a quick question: Was another album like f- album ever made after this, or there have been rumors that there is some mm. kind of posthumous release potentially mm. in the works? But okay. I'm always very sensitive with posthumous releases. The yeah, al- same. The only one that has ever been done well is like Circles by Mac Miller, and that's, yeah, and that's, I was gonna say Circles. By yeah, Mac Miller. and that's because that album was. Done. Mostly done. Pretty, yeah. 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 Absolutely. And, and and so it's it's highly possible that the posthumous album for Sophie might not come because it's not really done. I'm sure that Sophie had millions of songs, but it, it just would be digging through a ball. So I've kind of been aware of Sophie and of Sophie's like impact and importance in the genre. But I never like sat down and listened to this album. And when I did sit down and listen to this album, I realized that I had actually heard, I think there's nine songs on it. And I had actually heard four out of nine. So we're batting it almost like a 50%. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I had heard about like half of the album and was really excited to hear basically just all the songs in the middle that, mm-hmm. I, that I had never heard of. Um, Did you, had you heard like Ponyboy face shopping immaterial in it's cold in the water? Close. You're three for four. It's Ponyboy face shopping. It's okay to cry mm-hmm. and immaterial. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Is it cold in the water was new to me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, no surprise. I fucking love this album pop and electronic music. Um, are just like two genres I really really love one I've loved my whole life that being pop the other one I've just recently come to love especially since my short sojourn in Leeds and in the UK um, where I think they just like have a deeper more astute understanding of electronic music in general um, mm-hmm. but I, I, I yeah I just I just fucking love this shit like like it's just, it's just like every yes. it's like every like it's like the perfect blend of all of the things I want to get back to this because I haven't done this in a while, but I wanted mm-hmm. to say what this album was giving. Good. 
And I'm actually really proud of this one. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of the Transformers. (laughs) Like like the... Yes. Like the animation slash toy slash... I'm aware. Iconic um, intellectual property. Yes. Okay, so this would be like if Optimus Prime, you know, had a younger sister and or you know not younger sister but younger they them younger non-binary younger mm-hmm. a gendered sibling and this a gendered sibling though being a transforming robot car was also a makeup artist that specifically liked glittery eyeshadow uh. yes that would be what this album is giving this album would be giving uh. an a gender transformer that is a makeup artist that specifically does all of their looks with glittery eyeshadow that's what this is giving i'm very proud sophie, of that very niche response sophie would love that I I know that I don't know Sophie at all, but Sophie would love that. I just know. <laughs> I mean, It's Okay to Cry is probably like one of my favorite songs I've ever heard. I had heard it before. It's phenomenal. It does make me feel like It's Okay to Cry, but I also have always felt like It's Okay to Cry. So <laughs> crying is just like my brand. So, you know, I cry all the time. So <laughs> crying is cool. Pony Boy, like, yeah, shit slaps. And what I actually loved about listening to Pony Boy now that I have a new appreciation read love for corpse husband (laughs) is that that song specifically reminds me of like the nature of the type of music that people who love corpse husband also love. Yeah. You know, like I feel like there's a synergy between specifically the song pony boy by Sophie and all of corpse corpse husband's like discography. Pony boy is just like, I, it's the hardest and the kinkiest song I've heard in my yes. entire life. And I... Which is exactly yeah. like what Corpse, mm-hmm. Corpse Husband like traffics in. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but I love how the album gets like significantly more ambient in the middle, like with those four yes. songs. Yes. You know, it's like the, the singles and the hits are at the beginning and then you've got like Immaterial and Whole New World, Pretend World like at the end, but it's like very ambient in the middle and I absolutely love that. And I think... I just really want to highlight Infatuation because I had never heard it before and it really blew me away. Like Mm -hmm. it was very like the echoed background vocals were very reminiscent of like 90s, 2000s R&B. And it was just really like there's so many seeds to it, you know, like you you could like pick up on so many different genres and so many inspirations. And I just loved that song so much. And I was like, I can't believe I hadn't heard this one. And I think it might be a sleeper. Like, I don't know if you would have chosen that as my favorite but it i think it might be my favorite of the album if i yeah that is definitely i would not have picked it as your favorite yeah. but also at the same time as someone who unconditionally loves every song on this album i instantly know what you're talking about because the way that the specifically i love the fact that you highlighted the echo because the use of reverb on that song is ingenious it is absolutely yeah. ingenious and and to me it's invocative of like one particular artist which is madonna and i think that yeah that makes a ton of sense yeah i literally said that immaterial and i i had heard immaterial before right and i think it's a very clear like it is kind of calling out madonna mm-hmm. by name <laughs> like, yeah <laughs> <laughs> which i find so amazing but that song really is like the like perfect antithesis to madonna's material girls yes like it is the Mm -hmm. perfect antithesis to that song it's such like elevated just like bubblegum lush electro pop 
there are rare albums that come by that so succinctly and so properly define a new sound that it creates a new genre and that is so rare and it is yeah. it, it needs to be recognized when an artist does that and there has there were kind of you know online like every new genre there are always online rumblings or kind of like things existing in the undercurrent Sophie had been making this music for years before had been working with AG Cook who now runs PC Music who runs all of your favorite like Charlie XEX um, mm-hmm. all that shit and it was only when this album came out when Sophie came out here and put the music video for Pony Boy down and every single person on the internet started questioning their sexuality yeah that is when everyone said this is something distinctly new this has marked the change and in terms of what Sophie did with this and why this is so important is because this is what Sophie represented as an artist. It was pushing forward. It was saying at all costs, I will push forward and find a way to break these traditional boundaries that have held us back. It's all about breaking boundaries and it's not even about necessarily breaking them as much as it's like imagining a world without them. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because I think once you break boundaries you're still breaking boundaries. Like, yeah. like there's more boundaries after that. But Sophie was very much, I, I mean, from what I understand as like a novice Sophie lover, Sophie was very much about like throw it all away and just reimagine this shit. Like, like reimagine mm-hmm. the world without boundaries, without titles, without like identifiers, without your need to put everything in boxes. Like there are no lines. There are no boxes. There is only dance. Yeah. No, <laughs> As yeah, it, no that that was a perfect fucking segue. I love that, and I, I don't think enough credit has been given to it for the way in which everyone talks about immaterial. Because admittedly, immaterial is the song to listen to for Sophie to get such a deep understanding of Sophie's ethos. But at the same time, yeah, so much of this album is built towards the dissection of what these boundaries do to you and the right. way in which they impact you. I mean, face shopping is. One of the most ingenious it's, it's so is good. one of the most ingenious songs about presentation and ever concept and belief ever. Period. And then ever. another aspect of this album that is found particularly on Is It's Cold in the Water, or I think is highlighted most on that, is the recognition that you don't know what Sophie's voice sounds like. You because every song there is a different voice that Sophie puts on with a different vocal manipulation. And I will say some of the voices that you think are Sophie are actually a different artist. <laughs> who is C- Cecile Believe? C- 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 who is that? A lot of these people have never it, like shown themselves or who they are. There have, there are rumors that sometimes there's Sophie's voice under a different name. There's rumors that they're Sophie's collaborators, but a lot of Sophie's collaborators and people who worked on this project often kind of wanted to remain unlisted or you weren't sure who they were in an attempt to feel like it's just all of this just meshing together to create this just boundaryless deconstruction world. I would have loved to have been in the room when a lot of this was being made and just like, I don't know, idealized. It's just so beyond anything I could have ever imagined music could be. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's uh, like the thing of it, right? 
like I think that's the the function it's supposed to serve and I'm really grateful for it I'm grateful for Sophie for the time that we've had Sophie yeah man I mean I, I don't know this might become like too emo or whatever but I feel like there just comes a time where you realize that a lot of the function of having heroes and having people who have inspired you is like taking them with you like you have Mm. to take them with you you know and you have to be prepared to do that work and you have to be prepared to hold that space and I think that it's hard work and I think it's really sad sometimes but I think that is sort of the function of like being inspired by someone the fact that the themes and the concept of the music were so much about what should exist in terms of your own gender and your own lines and your own boundaries in existence. Yeah. It just, I, I, I don't know how I would have come out if it wasn't for this album. It really gave me everything I needed to understand that being the truest version of yourself, regardless of a boundary or a definition you could give yourself really is the only way to live. It's a necessity or otherwise you're merely going to always wonder, is it cold in the water? If you have not listened to this album, even if you think you might hate it, still give it a try. Hopefully it will break through those boundaries the way Clueless might also. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And look, it's not my fault if one year after listening to it, you're getting pegged to Ponyboy. It's not my fault. Oh my (laughs) God. And with that, let's move on. Jesus Christ. Listen, Uh, (laughs) listen, we're all pegging the patriarchy. Oh God. Can I get a witness? (laughs) And taxing the rich. Oh God. Can I get a witness? Um, Yeah. For, for that uh, on the record, no more words on clothing. A lot of the Met Gala, shall I say. (laughs) Okay, next episode, next episode, next episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <laughs> so a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. That's a Broadway joke. Okay, so a funny thing, <laughs> a funny thing happened. <laughs> and um, Ben, when we were trying to decide what to do for our next episode, was like, oh, how many Bowie albums have you listened to? And I was like, bro, why would you even ask me that, man? Like, I've listened to (laughs) so many of them. Like, what is wrong with you? And then I was like, yeah, I mean, I've listened to so many of them because I've been obsessed with Bowie ever since I was a kid and I saw Labyrinth. And Ben was like, what's that? And I was like, what do you mean, what's that? (laughs) So it turns out that we found out... um, as we often do, that Ben has never seen Labyrinth. He's never even heard of Labyrinth. Nope. Labyrinth is a cult classic film. It is absolutely one of my favorite films. It's perfect for spooky time, which it is currently. I just am so excited. So what we're going to do is Ben is going to give me a Bowie album to listen to that I may or may not have listened to already. Um, And he is going to watch Labyrinth, which I also found out after our conversation, I think is on Netflix right now. So it's just like the perfect time. Um, Fabulous. And I'm so excited because I cannot wait. I wish, uh, mm, man, I wish that we could actually watch this film together. Like I I wish that we could. It's similarly to the, um, talking Heads episode. I, yes. I I feel like it'll just be an episode to celebrate something that, you know, as a music fan, I should have seen, but I'm really excited to finally see. 
And yeah, I mean, for me, like, I just want to be clear here. I don't know if you're going to like it. Like, I'm not like, mm-hmm. oh, Ben's definitely going to like this. I just think it's something that you would appreciate existing and would appreciate having seen. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It's not like, yeah, the Talking Heads doc, which like everyone knows I was going to love Stop Making Sense. How could I not? Right. But yeah, no, I'm I'm super, super excited. I did like the mildest of Google searches after you like when you said like, what is that? And um, I was like, wow, how this seems like something I definitely should watch. <laughs> Bro, right? Yeah. Right. Um, it, but in terms of albums. I want it to be like a happy week, so we're not gonna do Black Star. <laughs> um, even though I do return, I think most to Black Star just because that album is a statement, always blows me away. But what I think we should listen to is Hunky Dory, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. David Bowie's 1971 album that kind of was the like. I would say middle of Bowie's golden era. It's right before Ziggy Stardust. It's right after Space Oddity. And it's when David Bowie became known as David Bowie. And and, and before he kind of became known as the mercurial David Bowie. It was more just like, holy shit, David Bowie's fucking incredible. It was that moment of David Bowie's career. I mean, I, I will say I'm so... that Even though they feel iconic in very different ways. I'm really happy about the pairing this week because of the way oh, in yeah. which like clueless and Sophie feel so like connected at the roots. Yeah. I was actually going to say, and I'm, I'm so glad you brought this up because I was going to talk about this just for a, like one sentence, but I was going to say that if clueless was made today, the, like the soundtrack would be, like Sophie songs mm-hmm. like they would go out to clubs and it would be Sophie's you know what I mean like it's very much a trajectory um and I know that they are remaking Clueless I don't know if they're doing a tv show or a film but I know they're doing a remake of it and I know that they described it as something like bisexual oat latte drinking whatever whatever <laughs> and I was like yeah like yeah we're getting into the like yeah. this is correct uh no this episode is so much fun and it's it's I Oh, it's so good. And I also can't wait for our next episode. Like, we're just going to have so much fun after making ourselves sad and or scared and or um, all of the above for so yes. long. <laughs> Seriously. I, and I will say, I, I think, oddly, this might be the best episode to listen to and then, like, media to consume if you want to understand, like, us as yeah, people. Probably. <laughs> probably. <laughs> like Yeah, if you want to understand yeah. us as happy, which we never are, yeah. then yeah, do that. <laughs> okay, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, this is just fun. Um and I can firmly say that this has been clueless and oil of every pearl's uninsides. Nailed it. Off the fucking list, bro. Let's fucking go. Woo. No, that's amazing. Rest oh, in peace, man. Sophie. Rest in peace, Sophie. Yeah. Rest in peace, Sophie. We miss you. We love you. Um I love you, pal. Love you too. Bye. And I will see you soon. Yes. Bye. Oh, Uzi Vert from Philadelphia. (laughs) (laughs) That should be the closer of everyone. Off the List is made by Ben and me, Nadira. Our artwork is by Rebecca Pearson, and our music is by Cedric Hawkeyes.
sent you one more meme on Instagram. <laughs> Not one more meme on Instagram. The name of our band. <laughs> <laughs> or the name of our hyperpop band? Yes, the name of our hyperpop band. <laughs> it's going to be... <laughs> <laughs> one more meme on one Instagram. One more meme on Instagram. <laughs> Wait, are you recording? Are I you am. Recording? So am I. I. Am. <laughs>